Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, good morning. You can be seated. And if you just came in, uh, hopefully you got a, a cup for communion. Uh, we're going to be taking communion a little bit later. Um, but if you missed that somehow, uh, they're at the door. A uh, host would love to put one in your hand. Those who are watching online, you can always uh, find some elements at home. Uh, we'll be taking communion together, like I said, in a little bit. Well, I, this past week, was reading an article about the most unique groups and societies that exist. Have you ever been a part of an interesting group or society, a collection of people, uh, for what purpose, you know? So I was reading this article, and uh, what caught my attention, really, on this whole list were just three of them. So I'm going to describe them to you for those who are watching, those who are here. The first group is called the 300 Club. The 300 Club. So what is the 300 Club? The 300 Club are for people who have experienced a temperature change of 300 degrees Fahrenheit in a very short amount of time. Now, what you see pictured here is where this takes place at the South Pole. And so they look for the day when it is scheduled to be 100 degrees below zero, They then have a sauna where they have it heated to 200 degrees. So you go from the sauna, you then run outside, and you go around the South Pole and back again. Sounds fun, right? People describe this as feeling like someone is hitting you with a tennis racket of needles the whole time. You know, that that temperature change. Who's in for this? The 300 Club. Anybody? No, no one seems interested. All right, how about this club? This is called the Extreme Ironing Bureau. It does exist. And so people go to exotic places to iron clothes. It's the challenge, right? It's the challenge. They say it's the thrill of the adventure mixing with a well-pressed shirt. Does this sound like anyone's interested? People go on mountains, people go on boats, uh, cliffs, wherever they can find a spot to iron a shirt. The Extreme Ironing Bureau does exist. All right, if that's not your cup of tea, maybe this one is. It's called the Cloud Appreciation Society. They're a society of people who appreciate clouds. Clouds, they say, are the most malign things in culture. We need to appreciate them more. For $35 a year, you too can join the Cloud Appreciation Society. We appreciate our clouds here in Northeast Ohio, right? No? Yes? No? Down? Don't join the society? I don't know. Maybe not. But so those are some of the ones I was thinking of, and here's what I really, I, after doing a small smattering of research, here's what really stood out to me. This truth. There is a club or society for anyone. <laughs> Whatever you have an interest in, I'm sure there's a group of people doing it. But here's the greater truth. The greater truth is this, that we have been wired, we have been designed to be together with other people. And many times, around people, around a greater cause or purpose. And it's one thing to be uh, around the cause of extreme temperatures or ironing or clouds or other hobbies, but what really excites me is how we can be united around the purpose of the things of God. 
the things that are deep on the heart and the soul, when you gather those kinds of people together to care about those kinds of things, that is sheer power, and there's great things that can happen. And so Paul's going to be writing to us today, the Apostle Paul. We've been walking through his letter in the book of Romans, his letter to the church in Rome. And it's very interesting. Today he's going to be writing to a church about what church is all about. This institution that has been around for 2,000 years. This collection, this gathering of people called the church. And so it seems fitting. We too are a church whether you're watching online or whether you're gathered here in this moment, we are the collection of God's people. And he has something to tell us this morning. There is going to be something that's going to be communicated to challenge every single one of us. And so that's why I'm glad you're here. We're going to examine God's word together. And so hopefully you, you brought your Bible. Um, we're going to be in, again, like I said, Romans chapter 12. We've been walking through kind of chunk by chunk into these different conversations. And today we are in chapter 12, verse 3. So if you have your phone, uh, you have your Bible, um, it'll be on the screen right here uh, for you this morning as well. So let's read. Uh, let me read. Here's what Paul says. He says, For the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. All right, so before Paul talks about the group, he wants to first talk about the individuals, the people that make up the collective group. And what Paul says from the very beginning is that this, what marks these individuals, what is very defining and characteristic of them is, is this word right here he talks about in verse 3, that they are individuals marked by grace. Grace. I mean, this is a word that he has used over a dozen times all throughout the letter to the church in Rome. And you might be wondering, okay, what does grace mean again? Well, I'll give you a quick definition. This is a professor I had uh, in seminary, and very helpful, very simple. But he defines grace this way, as God's goodness toward those who deserve only punishment. God's goodness toward those who deserve only punishment. Now, Paul's used this word, again, throughout the book of Romans. In chapter 3, I'm just going to remind you of what he said before. He said, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought. Um, wait, I already got to that one. Oh, a little bit later in verse chapter 3, he says this. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. All right, so this is the idea of grace. We deserve something other than what we uh, got. We got something other than what we deserve. So he's saying that in this idea of grace, we really deserve punishment. We really deserve separation. That is the narrative of Romans. If you've been following along in Romans, you cannot miss this story. What do we deserve as humanity? We deserve punishment and separation from God because of our sinfulness. That's what we deserve. But yet, out of God's grace, he extends to us forgiveness. Out of his grace, he extends to us something of 
completeness and an answer to the greatest problem that you have, that I have, that being our sin. And that is answered in his son, Jesus Christ. He says that in these verses, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have obtained this faith into this grace in which we stand. This is the only way we can express and have this kind of grace is because of what Jesus Christ did. It's what he did at the cross. Nothing that we did. This is how we can rejoice. We are to be condemned. He is the one who frees us and takes that condemnation upon himself. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the story of grace. And so I pause here and ask this question. What is your grace story? Do you have a grace story? If you know Jesus, you have one. If you know him, if he has stepped into your life and offered his son Jesus Christ to you, and if you have accepted that, you are someone who has a grace story. I think of the song Amazing Grace and how we are people who are separated we are once were lost, but then were found. If you have someone who has been lost and you have been found by the grace of God, you have a story to tell. And all of our stories are different, but they have something in common that we have been found by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. My encouragement is, is this. Have you told people your story? Maybe there's someone in your life who needs to hear that story of grace. Someone in your family, somebody as we're up coming into this kind of the season of Easter who God lays on your heart, maybe someone in your neighborhood, somebody at work. Who needs to hear that story of God's grace in your life? All right, so for Paul, the takeaway in chapter 12, verse 3, for individuals is that you are rescued by grace. And he says that we, we should not think more highly of ourselves, that there is a sober judgment that you then internalize. Well, why is that? Why does he say that? It's obvious. If you receive something you haven't deserved, how can you be prideful about it? That's what Paul is saying. You didn't de- that's what grace is. You didn't deserve it, yet God extended his son, Jesus Christ, to you. How can you be prideful about that? It's one of the worst things that Christians can do is to puff themselves up thinking, well, look how great I am. No, Paul says you need to be humble. Sober judgment happens when people really have been marked by grace. When I think of grace in the, the story, I think about one of the greatest stories that Jesus told in the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. You remember the story in Luke chapter 15. The son says, I want my inheritance now. And he runs off into a foreign country and he spends his father's inheritance. He's living the high life. He's doing all the things that he's, he's wishing he could ever do. But then it all comes to a crashing and famine in the land. He's now even just looking for anything he can eat, and he's starving, and he comes to the realization that he has to go back home. But he knows if he goes back home, his father is going to probably assign him as some kind of servant, slave, and so he's like, that's, that's what I deserve. And so as he's walking back home again, the father sees him coming back, And he runs out to him, and he embraces him. 
and he welcomes him. And the son is, is stunned. I, I deserve to be forgotten about, to, to be one of your servants. Yet the father is saying, bring me the fattened calf. We're going to have a celebration. A grace party breaks out in that moment where faith was abounding and grace was abounding and forgiveness was abounding. A grace explosion much to the chagrin of the older brother, right? <laughs> Where's my party? I've, uh... And yet in that moment, there is a wonderful celebration of grace. The greatest example, I think, is that story in Luke chapter 15. And so that's our story. If you have been saved by grace, and if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, this is your story. Okay, Paul starts right there. That's the individual story. But the individual story then moves in verse 4 and 5. Notice what Paul says. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, members one of another. All right, so Paul uses, he goes from individual language to now using more collective language. It's the story of, of where you gather people together, those who have been saved by grace. This is the collection of people who have a, a grace story in verses 4 and 5. People who are united, not around hobbies or sports or careers or, or net worth, but they're people who are united together around God's grace. And Paul uses a very familiar metaphor to talk about this group of people. He says uh, in this letter, but also in others, he says it's kind of like a, this collection of people, it's kind of like a human body. Notice that's how he saw, calls it. He says, for as in one body, we have many members. We are one body in Christ. Paul loves that metaphor of the human body. Let me give you a couple of other examples. One is the one you heard about in Corinthians when Paul would say, for just as the body is one and has many members, and in all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. All right. Paul loves it so much he uses it in Ephesians. He says that he's talking about to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The body. Why does Paul use the body? Well, there's, there's really kind of three kind of quick reasons right here in Romans that we see. The first is really the diversity of the example. It's, it's pretty obvious. You have feet, you have hands and arms and a tongue and eyes. There is a great diversity when you look at the human body. You need all of these parts, and they're all different, and they all play a really important role. The same is with the collection of God's people. When you draw them together, there is a diversity, and that is wonderful. Different backgrounds, different experiences, different parenting, different interests, different, and we could go on and on of the differences. You are different, you are different, you, you, me. We're, we are all different, and that is exactly 
what God wants, a diversity of people coming together. So that's the first word, but really the second word is really tightly wound in there as well, is this idea of unity. Not only are we lots of different body parts, but we are united. At the end of the discussion, we are one. Some are hands, some are feet, but there is one body. There's a unity of the people who are saved by grace. And the strongest part of our unity isn't, again, our, our zip code or what we do on Saturday afternoons. No, the strongest unifier of us is Jesus Christ. Our stories of grace coming together as one. But let me throw another word in there. Not only is there a diversity, not only is there unity, but this week I was looking at this phrase in verse 5 where Paul says, and individually members of one another. And the word that came to mind really to describe uh, people of church is this, proximity. Not only is there diversity, not only unity, but proximity. And by proximity, I mean that we are around one another to care for one another, uh, to be there for one another, to support one another, to love one another. That's what the idea of, of individually members of one another. We look out for one another. We take care of one another. Somebody this week sent me this picture that uh, was on their phone that said, this is where we were exactly a year ago. And you can't see the picture. It's about an empty shelves. Remember a year ago in March, we were just flattening the curve for a couple of weeks. And then we were going to be back to life as normal. Oh, man, what a journey we have been on. And it's really been a journey not only for us as individuals and for people in work and school and all of those challenges, but there's also been some very unique challenges of church. And I think the greatest part of that is not so much the, the hit on diversity and unity, but really there's been a real hit on proximity. Just not being around one another. This is where church, I mean, we try to fill in with Zoom and, and video, and, and those things are okay, but at some level, there's nothing like being shoulder to shoulder with someone and saying, how are you doing? Individually, we are members of, of one another, and we care about one another. And yes, you can do that via phone and texting and all of that. Those are important, but it seems like in this year of empty shelves, it's been really, really challenging. So we have this idea of diversity, unity, proximity, but really what Paul is saying here in the text is really profound because he's not like we are just like a random human body. It's interesting. This stuck out to me very uniquely this week. Paul never says you are just the body, but he uses another phrase to really drive home what we really are. People who are individually saved by grace, you are, we are the body of Christ. The body of Jesus. We are Jesus' body. When you come and you submit your life to him, you're not just a part of a random body and a random body part. You are a part, I mean, try to visualize, you are a part of the body of Jesus Christ. And that is significant, because later on it's going to lead us into 
purpose and mission as being part of Jesus' body. You're not the, the, the body of, of a random human, but you are the body of Jesus Christ. It is him that we focus on. It is him that we, he is the cornerstone of our faith. And Paul makes very clear that point that you're not just a random collection of people. We are a collection of people saved by grace called the body of Jesus Christ. And so with that, we're just going to take a, kind of a pause and we're going to do something very unique as the body of Christ. We're going to take communion together. So wherever you have communion, at home, cups, crackers here in the room, we have uh, these little uh, pieces that are both cracker and uh, juice. But in this moment, we're just going to kind of slow down for a moment and realize where the focus should be. You see, in our busy lives of running around and working, it's in these moments that we celebrate as a church that reminds us like, oh yeah, that's what we're about. That's what we're about. I th and it can be very easy to focus on other things. And so that's why we take a moment to think about what this means, this celebration that we do once a month. I mean, the elements draw us to the conversation. It is about the actual body of Jesus Christ, his actual body, his actual death, his actual resurrection. He was a real human being. This isn't fictitious. A real person died and rose again. Whoa! And this reminds us of that. The focus is on him. And so even Paul uses this idea of body of Christ and body of church as he talks about communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. D just listen to these verses. Paul would say, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that in the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we need to have our focus on. We are declaring his death until he comes again. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body. Now he's talking about the church. Guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. It is that moment where we slow down and we pause and our focus is on him. A moment of gratitude, a moment of realizing what he has done. Remember, we're not prideful. We're not boasting in what we did. We are boasting in what Christ did that we had no hand in helping in. And so we, we gather around the cross as people who are 
who are beggars and, and grateful for what he has done. And Paul says here that we, in this moment, when we remember this, we, we examine ourselves to focus in on the truths of what this is about. And so in this quiet moment, I'm going to have you take uh, the bread, a little wafer, and I'm going to read again what Paul said. He said, And when he had given thanks, he broke it, the bread, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The story of grace. Let's eat together. And in the same way, he took the cup at that last supper. He held it up and he said, this is a symbol of, of a new covenant. A new covenant. I mean, we said a number of weeks ago, Jeremiah was talking about this, this promise that was coming that would be written on the hearts of man. And Jesus was about to fulfill that. And so Paul says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember what he has done. Dear God, we give you thanks in this moment where we pause our our lives and we pause even on a Sunday morning to remember really the reason of our grace story. It's what unites us together as people who eat and drink together. It's a beautiful remembrance and it centers around what you have done. And so in this moment, we give you thanks as your people. We pray this by the power of your son's name. Amen. Well, Paul moves in the text in Romans through this conversation. Again, verse 3 is about individuals, verses 4 and 5 about the collection of individuals. Now Paul continues in verse 6, and there's going to be a, a natural needed step for those who are part of the collection of God's people called the church. There's going to be a challenge here. Get ready for it. In verse 6, this is what Paul says. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. So this is the next part of the, the conversation. What do we do as the body of Christ who are recipients of grace? And this is going to be mind-blowing. I'm going to draw a connection here for you because the word in verse 6 that talks about gifts is actually coming from the same root as the word in verse 3 of grace. These really could be called grace gifts. 
That's how the original reader would have seen them. Oh, we have been saved by grace, and now we are a collection of people with gifts of grace, and now we use those grace gifts. And so that's really kind of the, where the text is going. I'll just draw it out here for you. As individuals who have been shown grace, we are now a collection of people who have been shown grace. And then on top of that, we now become a collection of people who now show grace to the world around us and to one another. That's what it means to show that kind of grace to the people and in the world around us. Anyone remember when Saturday's mornings used to be about watching cartoons? Anyone remember that? I think those days have been long past. I remember getting up real early to watch cartoons for hours at a time, you know, eating a bowl of cereal, watching all the cartoons that come on at certain times. But one of my most favorite cartoons was called Super Friends. Anyone remember the Super Friends? The Super Friends were, if you remember, it was all of them together. It was, you know, Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman and Robin and Aquaman, and, and, uh, and they had all these other people with them. But here was why I loved it so much. It was because they were all working together for a common purpose. All the super friends. And you didn't know how it was going to play out, but if it was underwater, you kind of knew Aquaman was coming. And if it was something up in the air, you kind of knew Wonder Woman was going to fly in with her invisible jet, and, and Superman was kind of there to kind of keep it all together. And it was wonderful. All of these separate super friends coming together with their unique gifts to save the day. When I read this passage, I think of something that's even more exciting than the super friends. When God's people come together with their giftedness to then carry on what I call the gospel story of amazing grace. You see, you're using your gift to further the story of amazing grace in someone's life. It's incredible. That's what these gifts are. We have been gifted with grace gifts to then further the story of amazing grace that we have been transformed by. And so think about this. Maybe your gift is teaching. I love to teach. I love to make God's word accessible to people. I love it. And I see that as a way to further God's grace kingdom. Now, for you, maybe you're like, I like kind of hanging out with kids. I like teaching kids or I like hanging out with them. Wonderful. That's another way to pass along the amazing grace story. Or maybe you're someone who's like uh, teaching in front of people, no way. I mean, you see people on stage with music abilities and, and that and instruments, and you're like, that is not me. Guess what? You have an ability probably behind the scenes to do things. You're like someone who likes to organize things, or you're the person who likes to make people feel welcome. Can you imagine there being a lack of uh, that gift of making people feel welcome in the body of Christ? I mean, you'd walk into a room and everybody would be kind of by themselves, not talking to one another. I mean, who wants to be a part of that group? But if you have that gift to walk into a room and just be like, welcome. Hey, do you know this person? And you know this person over here? And, and you welcome and you bind people together. What a gift. Maybe you have the gift of encouragement. 
You always can encourage someone and you can and, 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 and point out what they're doing well and say, keep going. Or maybe you're someone who has a great gift of praying extensively for people. Or, or maybe you're the person who's been, you've been gifted with lots of wealth. And so you're using your giftedness of wealth to further the kingdom of grace stories. I mean, there are so many we could go through them over and over again. But here's the point. The point is, you have a gift, you have a gift, you, 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 me, we all have gifts that are needed for the story and the kingdom of grace going forward. Here's my question. Are you using your gift? Are you using your gift, the way that God has gifted you uniquely? Are you using your gift? I know that in this season of COVID and things shutting down and, and ministries not meeting and kind of getting back together again, and this is the perfect time to jump in. It's almost like there's a brand new start in the thing of church a wonderful brand new start to say, hey, I'm going to enter in with my gift and do this. I want to do that. Now is the time, a fresh new beginning. But I know that those who are here, those who are watching, you're probably thinking to yourself, I got some more questions. And so I have four thoughts that maybe are your thoughts. And the first thought could be this one. I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what it is. But what is my gift? I'm definitely am not a teacher. I'm definitely not that. I'm definitely, and you think all of these things that you're not. As a church, we want to help you. And it's not complicated. We don't overthink it. Simple questions like, what are you good at? What do you love doing? Go and do that with others. Show them God's grace. I mean, it can be as simple as that. We have some other questions we can ask to kind of, kind of drill down. Again, you have a unique gift that is needed in the body of Christ. Work to figure it out. It's a great question. I don't know what my gift is. Here's another thought you might be having. Isn't this the work of professionals? Like, this is why I come to church, for you to do it. And if you don't do it, then hire someone to do it. I mean, that, isn't that what church is? No, that's not what church is. You see, the professionals, biblically, are to be the ones to equip everybody. That's what my job is, and the pastors here, we are not to do all of the work. I mean, we're limited in our giftedness. We need more people with different varieties of gifts to jump in. We want to equip people to do that kind of ministry. And so, isn't this the work of professionals? No. We are all part of the body of Christ to work together with our gifts. Here's another thought that a lot of times people have. They think, my gift is not that important. What I have to contribute, <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody else doing it a lot better than me. Don't think that. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. Like, oh, I'm not needed. And guess what? When a collection of people then think that, guess what happens? Everybody sits on the sidelines. No, your gift is needed. Figure it out. How can I use my gift to serve? How can I use my gift to further the kingdom of grace stories for the next generation? Hopefully, through all of this, you might be thinking this question. Uh, so where can I use my gift? 
what does that look like? Where can I use my gift? You've been talking a lot about it. I see that it's part of kind of what happens. You're part of a collection of people to serve. Where can I serve? And this is a great Sunday to be here because if you go right outside of the worship center over to this opposite wall right here, we have lots of opportunities. Again, in the midst of ministries restarting, and there's lots of ways that you can jump in to serve with your gift. Please, please, please take time to go by those tables to see what God might be speaking to you to say, I want to jump in and do this. If you're watching and you're not physically in the building, you can go to our resources page and you can see what's there, but you can also email us to take that next step of where can I serve This is an exciting chapter of our church as I feel we're going to be in person more and more as time goes on and ministries start and and it's going to be an incredible way for the church to then be present in the lives of others to tell them the story of grace. You see, we we are more than a club. We are more than just a random group of people. We are the body of Christ. And your gift is a vital part of this body. Let me pray for us. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word that speaks to us and at times I feel is shouting even to us, teaching us things that maybe we've ignored or things that we're just not familiar with or maybe things that we think are, oh, those are for the other people. It's in these quiet moments of discernment that you speak to us. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would just allow us to rest in the knowledge of grace and the experience and what you have done and to see, wow, there is a responsibility to take those grace gifts, the ways that you have uniquely gifted us, and to use them for your kingdom. Help us to connect all of these dots together. May your spirit impress these truths upon your people here in this moment. Thank you. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.